Well, are you ready for the year 2012? So why 2012? Well, according to Mayan calendar, that's the year the world will come to an end. And along with that, we have economic forecasters that are stating that if, if financial policies continue as they are, that's the year America uh, will financially collapse, <laughs> which I'm thinking hasn't it already, but there may be much more to come. Every five to ten years, there is a year, a year by which life as we know it will cease to be. And I don't doubt, in fact, the Bible teaches that, yeah, there will be a year, a moment, a second in time when things will cease to end as as we have known it. But uh, we can get so caught up in that specific year that we'll get all into the details of what prophecy looks like in the Bible, what it will look like in reality, and we'll have our charts and maps out. Much as they did in Old Testament days. And it was so charted out that they didn't recognize the Messiah when he came. Because he didn't fit the bill. I think that is good for us to remember why there is prophecy. Because we're going to talk about uh, a passage of biblical prophecy today. And the point of biblical prophecy is not necessarily to study the the uh, minutia of the prophecy, to know every moment and how it's going to look like in the future. But the point of prophecy is to encourage, provoke a certain lifestyle now. I take you, uh, we're going to look at Genesis 49. Yeah, there's biblical prophecy in the book of Genesis. But I, I want to kind of look at this passage in light of what Second Peter chapter 3 says. I'll just read it for you as you turn to Genesis. Second Peter chapter 3, referring to the end times, verse 10 says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up, dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, note this. Since all of these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be and lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. And I think that's the point of biblical prophecy. It is to get our mind on the future, but specifically to live our lives in light of future. That is, to live a life dependent on God and holiness, to say, look, all these things that you see and that we put so much stock in today, they will cease to be. Therefore, do not love them. Do not trust in them, but trust in God. And so, that's prophecy in general, alright? Anytime you see prophecy in the Bible, understand that it is to produce a dependence, a trust in the Lord. And so, with that thought in mind, let's go specifically to Genesis 49, to the promises that are there. We'll find that a lot of these prophecies... Uh, really, some of them just don't relate to us. They relate to the tribe of Israel, the nation of Israel. Some of them do relate with us. And interesting that this prophecy is the last words of, of Jacob. And he's speaking to his sons. And he says to his sons, these are the things that will happen to you and your tribe to come. Much, uh, Most of these prophecies 
the sons will never realize. The fulfillment of these prophecies will occur hundreds of years later. Hundreds of years later and some yet to be fully realized. Why did Moses, in writing this this book, why did he record this chapter? Why did he record the last words of Jacob and give them to the sons whom would not realize this? That answer, the answer to that question speaks to us. Okay? When Jacob's telling Simeon, Levi, Reuben, his sons, all that's going to happen in the future. The hope is that men, sons, change how you live. Because this awaits you. That message still speaks to us in general. George, John, Sarah, Lisa, change how you live. Because this awaits you. There is an accounting that God will do. And that is a general message of Genesis 49. God holds every life in account. And the future is dependent on how we live today. That being said, here you have verse 1. My daughter was asking me, uh, Dad, when are you going to stop talking about Jacob? <laughs> it's been a while now. Uh, we've been in the book of Genesis a year and a half now. And I was able to tell her, well, you know, Molly, today is the last time. We're going to talk about the last words of Jacob. After this, there is no more word from Jacob. He, he curls up in a fetal position in the bed and dies after this last sentence that we'll read in Genesis 49. So we're almost there. We just only have a little bit of ways to go. We'll be finished with the book of Genesis. Uh, and so in honor of this passage, of this being the last words of Jacob, of this being God's word to us, let's stand as we read this together. If you'll read silently as I read aloud to you. Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Assemble and listen, O sons of Jacob. Listen to Israel, your father. Reuben, you are my firstborn, my might, and the firstfruits of my strength. Preeminent in dignity and preeminent in power. Unstable as water, you shall not have preeminence because you went up to your father's bed. Then you defiled it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they've killed men. And in their willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce. And their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, your brothers shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness. Who dares rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him. Unto him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's coat to the choice vine, he has washed his garments in wine, his vesture in the blood of grapes. His eyes are darker than wine, his teeth whiter than milk. 
Zebulun shall dwell at the shore of the sea, and he shall become a haven for ships, and his border shall be at Sidon. Issachar is a strong donkey, crouching between the sheepfolds. He saw that a resting place was good, and the land was pleasant, so he bowed his shoulder to bear and became a servant and forced labor. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heels so that his rider falls backward. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. Raiders shall raid Gad, but he shall raid at the hills. Asher's food shall be rich, and he shall yield royal delicacies. Naphtali is a doe let loose that bears beautiful fawns. Joseph is a fruitful bough, a fruitful bough by a spring. His branches run over the wall. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, and harassed him severely. Yet his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. <coughs> by the God of your father who will help you. By the Almighty who will bless you with blessings of heaven above. Blessings of the deep that crouches beneath. Blessings of the breast and of the womb. The blessings of your father are mighty beyond the blessings of my parents. Up to the bounties of the everlasting hills. May they be on the head of Joseph. And on the brow of him who is set apart from his brothers. Benjamin is a ravenous wolf. And in the morning devouring the prey. And at evening dividing the spoil. And all these are the twelve tribes of Israel. This is what their father said to them as he blessed them. Blessing each with a blessing suitable to him. You may be seated. This words of prophecy. They are the last words of Jacob. They are the words of blessing even to the ones that seem negative. They are a blessing in that they are part of the nation and a tribe comes from them. But it's also poetry. I believe that these last words are not spontaneous words of Jacob. These are practiced words of Joseph, of Jacob. Uh, there is play on words. Usually with each of these uh, blessings is a play on the name. There is a, a, a double play of what the name sounds like, what it means, and, and the prophecy that comes from it. And so this is a very practiced piece. And it is a, a piece that God is using to reveal prophecy in general and sometimes prophecy specifically. I want you to understand that not every prophecy, now listen carefully, okay? Not every prophecy will come true as God prophesied. <laughs> so, Pastor, what do you mean? I thought, you, I thought you're a Bible believer, a teacher. I am. But what you'll find in the Old Testament is that sometimes God gives prophecy in general so that people will change and that the, uh, the condemnation won't come. For example, Nineveh. God told Jonah, give a prophecy, this city will be destroyed. They repented and it did not come. King Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 20. God told him that you will die. There was a repentance. There was a pleading of God, a prayer for God. And God relented. He changed. And so there are some prophecies in general that are given with the hopes that mankind will repent. Then there are some prophecies that are specific. It's going to happen. Is going to happen. You'll see a little bit of both uh, in this this passage. And so let's first go. And I want you to look at. Uh, well, I, I want to just be able to give you some some truths that relate to you today from this passage. There are some powerful variables. Everybody wants to have their future shaped. They want to know what are the keys to shape in the future. I was reading the Parade magazine from last week, and it said these are the five things you can do to ensure that you will keep your job. And if you just do these things, these are tools of power. You can brand yourself and, and different things like that. And, and so everybody wants these tools. Well, I, the Scripture gives us some tools that determine the future. 
And I, let me just share with them. The, the first one we find especially revealed in the first three sons, Reuben, Simeon, and Levi. And that is the power of sin. The power of sin to destroy the future. You want to shape the future? You can shape it in a bad way by letting sin prevail in your life. Uh, and so uh, these first, uh, first uh, sons are sons of Leah. The first six are all sons of Leah. The next four are the sons of the concubines. And the last two are the sons of Rachel, Jacob's beloved wife. So he comes to Reuben, the very first one. Notice it's filled with potential. The firstborn son was the one that uh, historically would get all, most of the inheritance, would get the power, would be the, the clan's leader, if you will. And so he acknowledges that. He says, you're my firstborn. You're my might. You're the first four fruits of my strength. You're preeminent in dignity, preeminent in power. Everything is handed to you. You have the silver spoon in your mouth. Your life is filled with potential. And then notice what happens. Unstable as water. You shall not have preeminence. It's like he, he lifts up Reuben and Reuben's just sitting there, just his mouth drooling. He's like, all right, yeah, sounds good. And bam, he drops, drops the hammer. He says, all this could have been, but is not. Because of how you have lived your life. That is the message. How you've lived your life is determining the future now. Unstable. It literally means turbulent. You're like turbulent waters. And he, he goes back to a specific moment of time. You see this in verse 4. that He says, you went up to your father's bed, then you defiled it. He's, he's speaking back to a time... After Rachel died, where Reuben, either out of unbridled lust or out of desire to usurp the power of Jacob. We're not sure which one, but either way, he is with his stepmother in ways that he should not. No mention is given uh, at that time by Jacob's reaction. This is the first time we hear Jacob addressing it. And it's at the end of his life. And notice how the verb tenses change the person this first second person it says you defiled it and then he switched to third person like he's talking to someone else he went up to my couch it's like it's all been in secret and now before the brothers before all jacob is revealing and outing out reuben reuben you thought what you did was in private it is not what you've done in secret now is being proclaimed right before all your lust, your desires, without being held in check, have ruined you. The power of sin to destroy the future. You are like turbulent waters. This past week, we spent an uh, entire week at the beach. And um, I noticed something as we went out to the beach. The lifeguard would put out flags. Put out a yellow flag and says, you go in, be careful. Things could, could get dicey out there. But every once in a while, you'd have the red flag, which uh, indicated that there was a strong undertow and only the best of swimmers should be out there. And I remember being out there with that, uh, that red flag blowing, blowing, the wind blowing, and I was just trying to stand still. And I was having a hard time just standing still because of the under, undertow that was pulling me away. And I thought, this is Reuben. This is Reuben. He is going with the flow and being with Reuben is being with turbulent waters, is pulling you along the way. It is unbridled thoughts. Every once in a while you hear stories of, of uh, the next political leader that has been 
uh, ruined by scandal. Uh, even as much so, you hear about the church leaders that are ruined by uh, scandal, whether it's uh, sexual in nature, whether it's uh, money or power or anger. Uh, these are the things that usually uh, mess up religious leaders. And uh, every once in a while, someone will come up and ask me, how does that happen? How? This is someone I love, someone I respect. How can they do something that all the world understands is totally wrong and, and leave what God has told them to do in such gross and immoral ways? How does that happen? Let me tell you how that happens. It started one day as that person was walking his life, did not intend to go down that direction of whatever direction they chose. But a thought occurred to them that appealed to them. That was selfish, that appealed to their instant desires, and they did not surrender that thought to Jesus Christ. And they let it go. So when the thought came back again, they were in a weaker position to resist that thought. And that continued until the thought became a mindset, became a habit, became a lifestyle an attitude that in their private thoughts in their mind they were being dominated by that desire until it was just a matter of time before it had outward expression i hope you see the danger here and that every single one of us are capable of going down that road all it starts with is a thought that's not held in check and it builds momentum and becomes as turbulent waters. It doesn't matter what potential you have. It doesn't matter how much you know of the Bible. How long you've been a member of a church. It does not distinguish. You can evolve all the potential in the world. And it does not matter. This can destroy you. And then you've got Simeon and Levi. Verse 5. These brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into the counsels. Jacob says, I don't want to be around them. They can kill you. They can kill you. He says, oh my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed men. He's looking back to a day and time when, when they were acting out in vengeance to something that occurred to the sister, a rape that occurred to the sister. And they went out and not just laid out justice toward one man. They wiped out an entire city. Killed the men. And made every Treasure there, their own treasure. And Jacob says and reveals that there was just a, a, a manslaughter, a violence. He says in verse uh, 6, he says that they, in their willfulness, they hamstrung, hamstrung oxen. In other words, in their self-will, that which the, their pleasure of sport, of violence, unbrouted self-indulgence, they even hamstrung oxen, which, in other words, what... They were just being gratuitous in their violence. They, they had no sense in killing. There is no real reason to kill oxen. They're not, they're not weapons of war. They're not animals for war like horses. They were just in their blood lust. Even wiped out oxen. Now notice something. Verse 7. Cursed be their anger. For it. Notice. Is. Fierce. And their wrath. For it is cruel he's not talking back to something that they did 20 some years ago alone he says not only were they this way they are still this way they're still fierce they're still cruel 
And I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Unchecked lust, thirst for power, anger, men. Did I not just talk to you? Is this not the area that hurts us? Listen, how we live our life will determine the future. They had no way of knowing Reuben, Simeon, and Levi, but their tribes, when they came into the promised land, because of how they lived their life, their tribe would be characterized by these same characteristics and consequently would not inherit what others could have and and what they should have. Reuben, we find that he dwelt, their tribe dwelt on the eastern side of the Jordan River in Numbers 32. They never, in in other words, they did not get on the promised side of the Jordan River. They never played a leadership role. In fact, we cannot find or trace back one significant leader that goes back to Reuben. Simeon, Levi. Both of these men, Levi, became the tribe of Levites, which the priests came from. But they never inherited land. They got 48 cities that was scattered throughout the promised land. Interesting enough, Moses was of the tribe of Levi. Moses was the one who was supposed to lead the people out of Egypt into the promised land. But listen, Bible scholars, do you remember, did Moses get to the promised land? No. Why? Because God said, you have sinned against me in front of the people. And we understand that the main reason why was because of anger. Interesting. Interesting, that occurs. The tribe of Levi, they become characterized by anger. And then Simeon. Also, as they went into the promised land, Simeon's holdings were scattered within Judah's territory. They never had a land of their own, but it was scattered throughout. You need to understand. God holds us responsible for our own life. When we live in sin, it's not because of someone else's fault. But... That being said, you can live in such a way that you can pave a way for those who come after you so that it's easier for them to follow the Lord. Or you can pave a way that those who come after you has to overcome for them to follow the Lord. Which path are you laying? One that will lead to Christ or one that they have to overcome? We'll find Reuben and Simeon and Levi We're laying down a pathway that became obstacles for their tribe. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. Now let me just bring it to you right here, right now. The power of sin can destroy your future. Not just your children's future, but your future. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we think of hells this way. We, we think of, of us dying, coming before God, judgment's there, and, and God's just kind of holding us above hell and says, look, there's your future. See the fire, see the torment? That's you now. You had a chance to, to repent from that, to, to get away from this if you receive the forgiveness of God, but you did not, and now it's too late, and we're thrown with us screaming and kicking into hell. And that's an image none of us really like, but that's the image of hell that we think of. I don't think that's how it really works because of sin. You see, let me just 
introduce this idea to you. Hell is a, is a literal place, all right? The Bible teaches it is a literal place. But let me just share with you that it is also a way of life. And the seed of hell is in every person's heart when they're born. What is hell? Hell is life without God, the void of God. That seed is within your heart. How do I know it's there? It is it's, it's expressed when every child says, no, let me do it my way. I don't want to listen to authority, whether it's from mommy or daddy, or from a teacher or from God. Let me live apart from God. Okay, do you understand that? That seed is there. And every time we follow that path of self-reliance, self-will, our seed grows just a little bit more. The seed of hell. And hell, or sin, the seed of hell is sin, can dominate your life. I've got some ivy in our yard. It's a crazy stuff. Roundup has no effect. I have to I have to work constantly every year to keep it from overcoming our house. The seed of hell is like kudzu in our heart in our life. And given time, if you let that self-reliance continue your heart without having any check, things have to be done your way. Done for you how you want it. Your desires matter. Nothing else. It changes you. It makes it. See the thing is about sin is it never satisfies. And so you've got to do more and more. And become soon it isolates you. So that life is all about whether or not you can satisfy yourself in this sin. Now if you imagine that being unchecked in your heart. Five years. How do you become changed let me assure you five years of ivy not being checked our house would change 10 15 20 years what if we measured that times eternity how would your life be different you see here's what hell is hell is you say to god god i don't want you god says okay i'm going to give you what you want and we become so twisted in our selfishness it is as miserable as Jesus describes. It is life without God. See, everything in this earth of love, of joy, of peace, of kindness. You know what that is? That's the seed of God. You see, eternal life is not just something you go to when you die. Eternal life is a seed that God implants within your heart. At the moment of surrender before God. It's not just something that awaits you when you die. But it is to say, God, I treasure you more than me. I see the beauty of who you are more than me. I long for you more than me. And I, God, save me. As, as Jacob himself prays, God, save me. I need your salvation. And at that moment, God changes through the Spirit of God, puts in your life eternal life, a relationship with God, so that in spite of this life and the hellish Attributes in it, there can be love, 
a joy, a peace, a patience, a kindness, a gentleness, a self-control that is, is of God that grows to the point when our heart biologically stops. There is no more presence of sin, but an overwhelming experience of the life of God. Is there any wonder when it comes time to die, when folks don't follow Christ, that they are fearful because they do not know what it means to walk with Christ when their heart's ticking? The power of sin to destroy the future. Let me go on very quickly. The power of repentance to redeem your future. Here you have verse 8, Judah. Judah, if you look at his lifestyle, he was just as immoral as the other dudes. I mean, he was bad. In fact, here's his fathering skills. He raised his sons up, his two oldest sons up, in such a way that they were immoral to the degree that God looked at him and said, I cannot let your life continue. And he kills them prematurely because their life was so wicked. Fathering, fathering for you, for Judah. And so, at that point, he had no problems being with prostitutes, had no problems with idolatry, and finds himself in a situation with his own daughter-in-law. And children are born through his daughter-in-law with Judah. I think, good night. But what happens in Judah that didn't happen in Reuben and Simeon and Levi? He repents. He realizes his wrong. And he turns from that sin and takes responsibility in following God and following Jacob. So, consequently, verse 8, Judah, the name means praise. He says, just as your name, your brothers shall praise you. There will be blessings on you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's son shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's club from the prey. My son, you have gone up. He stooped down. He crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rises him. He uses this metaphor of a lion with the tribe of Judah. He says, just like as a little lion that you were there with the mother and he had the prey given to you. You once were a little lion, but you have grown. And now you're the one crouching and devouring. You're the one who's grown. And, and, and I will symbolize you with a lion. So consequently, in Revelation chapter 5, verse five when referring to one of the descendants of judah it says listen referring to jesus and one of the elders said to me weep no more behold the lion of the tribe of judah the root of david is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals and so it becomes a picture of the messiah himself this this lion and then it goes on Verse 10, the scepter which is the symbol of royal command shall not depart from judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute shall come. This word is ambiguous. They're not quite sure exactly what it means. It could refer to a place, silo. Uh, it could refer uh, to a, a proper name of one referring to Messiah. But the idea behind this is that there will be one day someone who comes from this tribe that will have all the authority and right to rule that will belong to him. Listen, understand, the book of Genesis is about the story of God's given redemption to mankind who's in sin. Genesis 3.15, the Bible says that there would be one day someone who would uh, conquer the work of Satan in sin. 
that would come of Eve. In Genesis chapter 12, and given a promise to Abraham, there will be one who will come of Abraham who will, who will be a blessing to the entire world. And so we come to Genesis 49. This is the third, uh, third clue as to who the Messiah is. Not only will they be one who will turn back the work of Satan, not only will it be one through whom God blesses the entire world, but also now he will be one who will have a kingly aspect. See, Judah will be over his brothers. You notice how the brothers will praise him. And then it goes on and says, not only will it be a, a nation, a ruler of the nation, but we find uh, right there as we keep on reading in verse 10, to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. He will be a ruler over the nations. There will be one who comes from Judah that will be king over all. Now listen, this is 640 years before David comes. 640 years before David comes. David comes and introduces and fulfills this partially. But then when Jesus comes, the Bible says, in regards to Jesus, one day every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Genesis chapter 49 verse 10 is a fulfillment, a prophecy that still waits the ultimate fulfillment. That we are still underneath awaiting that moment in time. But it does speak to Jesus. Now, it goes on. And let me just do this in a hurry. I'm not able to go in detail how all the other tribes have fulfillment in this prophecy. But notice as we get to Dan. Dan has got a mixed blessings. Verse 16. So judges people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent in the way, a viper by the path that bites the horse's heel. He says, look, there'll be good and bad that comes from Dan. And so verse 18, Jacob realizes something. Oh, my salvation is not in my sons. I wait for your salvation, O Lord. I hold on to you, God. Now go down to verse 22 as he banks on Joseph a little bit, his beloved son. Joseph, Joseph, which means, may he add, is a fruitful bough. He has a son named Ephraim, which means twice fruitful. And so he uses that word fruitful. A fruitful bough by a spring. His branches shall run over the wall. And then he says, verse 23, consider all that has happened to Joseph. The archers bitterly attacked him, shot at him, harassed him severely. Yet his bow, his bow remained unmoved. His arms were made agile by the hands of the mighty one of Jacob. He says, look, consider Joseph. Look at who he is. Look at what's been done to him. All the sin that's done against him. How did he make it through? Why is it he's fruitful? Because he did not let the sins of other people determine his attitude. Listen. Some of you are more defined by what has happened to you than by God. You have let the sins of others determine your future. Joseph did not do that. What was the strength of Joseph? Well, let's keep on reading. Well, he says, his arms are made agile by the mighty one of Jacob. From there is the shepherd. This is the second title referring to God. The stone of Israel. The God of your father. The almighty. You see, Joseph, he was determined not by his brothers, but he was determined by the one who is almighty, the shepherd, the stone of Israel, the mighty one, the God of his father. Listen, may God shine so brightly in your heart that you will not look to the sins of others. You will not look at the tragedies of your past to determine how you will live your life, but you will look to the God who is there 
and let him be God of your life. You see, let me just share with you this one last powerful key. Not only is the power of sin to destroy your future in Judah, we see the power of repentance to redeem your future. But behind all this is the power of God. The power of God who is the strength of all power. How is it that sin can destroy you? Because God has decreed it so. How is it that repentance can change your future, redeem your future? Because God has decreed it so. You see, the power of God is working through history like the mighty wind. I was able to do the, witness some of this at the beach. I was watching a guy kiteboarding. For those of you who don't know, it's kind of like you get a surfboard, and you strap it to your feet, you get a harness and tie it to a huge kite. And the power of the wind of this kite powers you through the water. Fascinating to watch. I don't think I want to try. Uh, and it's amazing to see how is it this person can go one from one direction to another. It's the same wind. The same wind. The same wind that can drive one person to the rocks and destroy them is the same wind that can deliver them to the shore safely. What's the difference? Is the wind different? No, the wind is the same. The difference is how they've trimmed themselves to the wind. The power of God is working in life. It will either bring you to your destruction or it will bring you to your salvation. Either way, what's the difference? It's whether you will set your, yourselves with God or against God. That's the difference. Understand how you live your life determines your future. It may have been a revelation for Reuben, Simeon, Levi, the others for a realized, man, you mean that didn't just go away? No, it didn't go away. It came back with a vengeance. You understand. What you think you've done in secret, no one else knows about. What you think that hurting no one. There is a power at work in your life that is unseen to you at this time. But when it's revealed, it can be revealed with such a fury that you'll be astounded. I just ask you. Will you see the truth of this passage? I understand there is a goal, God who holds you in account. But praise God through Jesus Christ, there is the ability to forgive us of our sins. We can turn from our sins and turn to Christ. Repentance is a powerful force. It can shape your future. Let's pray.